Good morning. Wonderful to see you all. Wonderful blessing. Welcome to our visitors and a special welcome to my mother and my father-in-law. Wonderful to see you guys here too. I'm going to be um, I'm going to be sharing the gospel today, and and Kelly, that's not the new birth that I'm looking for. Okay, so so just um, be a wonderful blessing. Um, let's let's open a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, dear Lord, we thank you for the gospel of our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work that you do, dear Lord, within our lives. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We ask you, Father, you would open our hearts, Lord, this morning as we listen to your word and as we understand the gospel. We understand what it is and we understand how it works Take a man, dear Father, who is dead in trespasses and sin to a life, dear Father, that is eternal. I ask you, dear Lord, that as you do your work, even within me, dear Lord, this morning, I pray, dear Father, in every way that, that I would be hid while the gospel of the Lord and our Saviour Jesus Christ would be fully revealed. We praise you for this time and we praise you for this service. And we thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been um, been going for the, through the Book of Romans. <coughs> I was it was interesting. I was counting last night. There's been 15 messages I've preached on the Book of Romans, and we're only just starting the fifth chapter. It's a good book, big book. That's a wonderful blessing. Did you guys get when you you know when you left the house this morning? Was it really cold when you walked out the door? We've got this superficial heat inside the house and gives us this temporary comfort and you walk out the door and all of a sudden it's, oh, it's cold out here. The stark reality of, of, of life. You know, it was exactly the same thing. We got out of the car. Here was... Oh, did you want to get that? Um, so you get out of the car and it's, it's nice and warm in the car and you open the door and it's, ah, oh, you realise it was so cold. The gospel's like that. We, we go through, we go through our life very, very comfortable. We've created a superficial environment around us. And when the gospel is, um, is preached, it actually brings quite a stark reality to what life really has in store potentially for us. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, please. I'm going to be reading two verses from it, and we're actually going to be focusing only on one word this morning. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore... Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When I, um, when I decided to do uh, this message, I wanted to, I wanted to focus on the value of a, of a single word. Um, we, we, we love the Word of God. We, we love what it teaches. Uh, often we, we, we don't think of a single word as being significant, but there's a word here that's very significant. It's not significant in that it's a word. It's significant because of its context and where it's, and where it's located. The title of the message is Eternity Bridged by a Conjunction. And the word that we're looking at is the word Therefore. We've spoken about it before. We've mentioned that when you have a word, particularly like therefore in Scripture, you want to ask why it's therefore. Brother Alan brought it out many years ago, and we hear it from time to time. But here, particularly, it's really important because it's not an accident that I see here that, that this word happens to be the, the word directly after the last verse in the chapter 4 and right at the beginning of the first verse in chapter 5. We, we, it's probably a little bit quirky and funny, but to look at it and think, therefore, being justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have, also, we have access by faith into this grace wherein you stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Therefore, being justified. Therefore, being justified. Therefore, everything that has gone before this word is what leads us into a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that now comes after this portion of Scripture teaches us about how life is led in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to remind ourselves, and we do really need to remind ourselves, why the Lord Jesus had to die, why he, why, why he came, why God was manifest in the flesh, why the Bible was given to mankind, indeed why God created the universe and all there is therein in the first place. We need to, unless we have an understanding of why, why all this has come about, we, we can't really understand the importance of the gospel. And it's really that God would have a relationship with mankind. What's difficult in most of today's Western world is that we're constantly being given bread and circuses. That, that's a description that was given by Cicero in the first century BC, where as long as we can be continually distracted by just giving us the basic necessities for our life, and then entertaining us and distracting us with circuses, then others can go ahead and do whatever they like and we're, we're just blinded. And today we have that. We have a culture that's filled with entertainment and, and games and, and, um, and every other sort of activity that would actually take our focus off what's most important in life. We, we, we distract ourselves, and, and, even, and even this time now, even, even standing here preaching to us, it's almost like you're watching TV. You don't think that what is going to be said here this morning is actually life-changing, is actually something that will change and determine your eternity forever. And if it's not your eternity, then perhaps it's going to influence through you the eternity of somebody else. The gospel is vitally important. It is the central theme of the Bible. It's the very Word of God. And through your changed life and through your changed heart, other people can have an opportunity to know the truth, to be set free, and to be saved for all eternity. I've got to remind you, <coughs> eternity is in the balance. And there are two dramatic extremes to that eternity. Ephesians 2, chapter 4, verse, um, chapter 2, verses 4 to 8 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We so often think little of the work that God has done and what he's achieved for our benefit and for the salvation of the world. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified. All that has gone before this conjunction, this eternal bridge, speaks to us of the work God has done to reconcile sinful man to himself. All that has gone before this junction is of absolute importance as it is the condition for which man may have peace with God. And all that comes after this simple grammatical word is life everlasting. So three parts to the message again this morning. The first one is, therefore, has cause and effect. Therefore, bridges the gulf. And the third point is, therefore, reveals our great hope. The first one, therefore, has a cause and effect. You know, when you, when you touch a hot plate, you get burnt, yeah? So as soon as you touch the hot plate, so I touch a hot plate that's hot, therefore, I'm burnt. Make sense? One follows the other. This is cause 
and an effect. Eat food, therefore I don't starve. Makes sense, doesn't it? We eat food, so therefore we do not starve. Um, We've got the first commandment with promise, honour thy parents, therefore live long. Good. Therefore live longer. Upset dad, wrath of God. Cause, effect. We see that. It works. It's true. It happens. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy, please. Chapter 30. Chapter 30, verses 15 to 19, we're going to be having a look at. Now, Deuteronomy is a sermon. It's, it's, um, it's a sermon preached by Moses. It was either a single sermon broken in two parts or it's two separate sermons. Either way, it was preached by Moses to about two million people. In the sermon, Moses recounts all that has gone before them. He reminds them of their experience and their parents' experience in the hands of the Egyptians, but moreover, reminds them about their own failings during the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. If you can remember... When the the twelve spies went to spy out the land, uh, there was a one from each tribe. They were to come back and bring report. Ten of them brought evil report. Two of them brought a good report. The congregation at the time believed the evil report. They were discouraged and would not enter into the land. God then pronounced judgment upon all those people at that time, and um, basically everybody that was under the age of twenty were to come into the land, but it would take 40 years before everybody else would die out. But the people that he's speaking to here are the people that saw the wonders of God. Okay, They have seen God's work and God's effect. They have seen the ten plagues in Egypt. They have seen the parting of the Red Sea. They walked across dry shot. And on top of this, we also have the siblings. Have a look. From verse 13, this is Moses, and he speaks about a cause and an effect. He says, See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land, whither thou goest to possess it. So here we have, we pause there for a moment, here we have God makes clear that if man would love and follow God, good will be his end. Makes sense? The words that and and in verse 16 are the links that give clarity to that consequence. Love God, keep his commandments that they may live and God will bless them. Okay, we have a cause, we have an effect. But... Now, this is your next conjunction, okay? This is the next link, and it demonstrates a turn of thought. Have a look at it in the next verse, verse 17. It says, But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away, and worship other gods, and serve them, I denounce unto you this day, that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan, to go to possess it. Here is the full expression of the consequence to man if they should turn away from him, and particularly these individuals. In verse 19, Moses gives a powerful and a clear summary. He says this, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Moses gave the cause and the effect. You'd think it would be clear people would choose life, don't you? You'd think it would be clear that nobody, nobody would choose death, don't you? And yet we share the gospel with people from time to time and they don't want to have a bar of it. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want to understand and know where they're situated right now before a holy God. And they go, look, I don't care. Really? You don't care? You don't value your own life? You're lying. You're lying. If I offered you $100,000 and you play Russian roulette, would you do it? If I gave you a million dollars for your eye, would you do it? What about $100 million? 
and I'll take both eyes. Would you do it? Good luck seeing the money. Good luck seeing what you're going to do with the money. You understand, we value our lives. How much more our souls for all eternity? This has value. And there's a consequence. In the third chapter of Romans, we discovered the purpose of the law, didn't we? We understood that the law itself was never intended to be kept to save man. We, but to bring us to a knowledge of our own sinful state. All right? we, we need to be aware of our sinful state. So as we're going through this, this, even though this is a sermon that's particularly on this word, we're doing a summary as well of those first four chapters. In Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, it says, we, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of the law. The effect of the law was to bring us on our knees before a holy God, that we would say, what must we do to be saved? You have the cause, you have the law given. The natural effect of that law is to bring you to your knees before a holy God. Because when you understand the implications of the law, you understand that you can't fulfil it. And therefore it brings you to a saving knowledge, potentially, of the Lord. We can't do anything ourselves to be saved. The Bible says that... um, In Isaiah, he says that we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. Do you understand that yet? Have you gotten that, that you can't be good enough to go to heaven? We can't be good enough to go to heaven. There's nothing good within us. Enough that would actually merit salvation, that would merit heaven. We can't be. The same chapter. In chapter 3, it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The same chapter says that there is none righteous, no, not one. It says that there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. The Bible says that their throat is an open sepulchre, and with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. It goes on and it says that destruction and misery are in their ways and all the way of peace have they not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. I share the gospel with people from time to time. They don't have a fear of God before their eyes. They're not concerned. They're not concerned about eternity. They're not concerned about judgment. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Friends, chapter 2 of Romans didn't placate man's situation either. The cause and effect that we have in there is saying God will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory, honour and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But the full case of... God against man was brought out so clearly in chapter 1. The wrath of God, it says right at the beginning that God begins to lay his case against mankind in Romans chapter 1. We discover that we are at enmity with God. Enmity. We're enemies of God. We find that we all come short of the glory of God in chapter 3 and God will render to every man according to his deeds in chapter 2. But here we see that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men in chapter 1. This is the reality. This isn't fiction. This is the reality. This is the real state of man. In chapter 1, we came to understand that the potential and continuing depravity of man as he rejects it. Look, it's worth turning there. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. If you're in Romans chapter 5, it's not far. And we can touch on just a few of the things that are here because what I want you to see just in this first 
portion, that there is a cause and that there is an effect, and the cause is basically that we have sinned, and we are sinners by nature. So we are in a state that has fallen before a holy God. That is the cause. The effect of that is eternal damnation. The effect of that is eternity in hell. And it is for eternity. So chapter 1, verse 19, it says, The invisible things of him from the creation of the world... Now, that's speaking about God. So the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So we understand that it's for this reason that they are without excuse. So everything about life and everything about creation, everything in the universe points to the existence and the reality of a holy God so that man is without excuse. We witness in Scripture and in the world that once they have rejected the evident things of God, they yet profess themselves to be wise but became fools in verse 22. And that's witnessed by the childish arguments that you get from the new atheists today, people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and the late Christopher Hitchens, although I'm sure he's been made aware by now. And they've turned things around. I mean, the greatest, the greatest philosophical atheist of the 60s, 70s and 80s was Anthony Flew. He, was, he had a system of apologetics for his atheism. I think he was almost 90 before he died, and in his 80s he wrote a book. And it simply was titled, There Is a God. He came to the conclusion that there must be a creator. We see evidence of corruption with man as they become more and more adoring of things created. Have a look at verse 23. It says, They change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They have, in fact, changed the truth of God into a lie, and they've worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. What's that a picture of? When you move from serving the the creature more than the creator, what's that a picture of? Modern environmentalism today is extreme. Well, the moderate environmentalist today is the extreme environmentalist of yesterday. Because I'll tell you now, 20, 30, 40 years ago, there was so few people that could possibly think that man in such a small part of the earth, can actually change the weather of the entire planet. Now that seems to be the majority view. So we have a love and a worship of the creature more than the creator, and that's made evident of that. But the potential consequence of their rejection of God doesn't stop there, because God gave them over. That is, the Bible saying that God gave them up to their own affections and lusts. It says, God gave them up unto vile affections in verse 26. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Homosexuality is clearly noted here as a, as a symptom. It's a symptom of continuing depravity as we reject the truth of God that's evident in all things. The global acceptance of homosexuality and homosexual activity today is the clearest manifestation of the world's rejection of God. And remember, that was what was the case in Sodom and Gomorrah. What was the case in Sodom and Gomorrah? It was a universal acceptance of that behaviour. But... But it wasn't because of homosexuality that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. That was the outward manifestation of their rejection of God already. And the, 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 the breaking of skin and the bleeding and the falling pieces of your body isn't, the, isn't the, the, the cause of leprosy. It's a symptom of it. It's a symptom of what was already happening with the body. Okay, Homosexuality and the approval of it, the approval of it, was exactly that. It was a, it's a symptom. It's a symptom of a world that has rejected God. And it's curious that it's in the West. It's curious that it's the Western world. 
Understand the Western world is the one that had the light of the gospel. It's the Western world that had the gospel preached to them. 2,000 years we've had prophets and preachers and teachers and churches set up across the Western world preaching the truth of God. Is it because there's a lack of revelation? No. No, it's not a lack of revelation. It's an abundant amount of revelation. People came to the knowledge of the truth. They were born again. They were saved. Society's changed. Society prospered. And we're living right now, today, as part of that blessing. But I can tell you, it's going to be short-lived. So we're at the height right now. I don't believe it's going to get any better. As man has rejected God, society itself continues to become more and more depraved. We are becoming more impoverished. We're becoming impoverished financially. As our ethics and our morals begin to change, as we reject a foundation to ethics and morals, then it's going to be, a, it's going to be affecting us economically as well. Man, it has to. But whoever thought that you could borrow enough money to get out of debt? Try it. Try it. For a change. Just give it a shot. See how you go. Try borrowing money to get yourself out of debt. We've got governments all over the Western world insanely doing exactly this. And, and the people that can afford it the least, the people that are dependent on government, are the ones that are running on a treadmill going backwards. Less and less is there for them. Why? Because ethics is... Not grounded in foundation. It's grounded in whatever we want it to be because we've already rejected the foundation of God. Second point, therefore bridges the gulf. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> when, the, when the rich man in Luke chapter 16 was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. And being in torments, he saw Abraham afar off. And he asked that Lazarus may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for, he says, I am tormented in this flame. One of Abraham's responses was this. He said, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. The effect on mankind after chapters 1 through 3 should be a sickening dread. It truly should be a sickening dread. After these chapters, you should know that whether or not you have peace with God. Knowing that you don't have peace with God leaves you in a great gulf. And there is a tremendous gulf. Sadly, today, we have exactly the same thing. We have, we have wax model Christians. There's plenty of wax model Christians out there. Christians that believe themselves saved and okay, and yet may find themselves rejected by God. Thanks, honey. This, this word, therefore, in this context here, bridges that gap. Therefore, in this passage, with a hopeful condition that was so wonderfully spelled out for us in chapter, in uh, the 24th verse of chapter 3 to the end of chapter 4. So before the 21st, 24th verse of chapter 3, everything was speaking about our condition before a holy God. Everything from verse 24 in chapter 3 through to now speaks about Wonderfully accepting who God is and being saved. That's why it says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's something important to understand about, about, about eternity, and especially about eternity in hell. The, the, Bible, the Bible speaks about it as being something that's darkness and loneliness and torment. And that's why this is so so important, and it's so important for you to understand this. The darkness is a darkness that the Bible teaches can be felt. It's a darkness so dark it can be felt. The loneliness, though accompanied with a multitude of devils and angels that, that, that have fallen from the grace of God, 
will be a solitude so absolute and so terrible and so eternal and its understanding is impossible. And the torment experienced will be with a body fit for purpose. Jesus said that where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, and where the smoke of their torment riseth up for ever and ever. This, this flame, brethren, isn't one that we see here on earth. There's no angel that can get singed by any of the, the flames that are here. This is one that will burn to the very soul. This is one that will torment even angels in hell. We can't even understand this. And maybe, maybe because it's so violent, maybe because it's so terrible, we, we put these ideas out of our, out of our minds. And we don't think about the importance of all of this. We're all going to be running out of time. We know that. 200,000 people in the world die every day. We don't know when that time's going to come and when it's not going to come. We don't know whether we're going to be taking our last breath after today. Knowing whether or not you're saved is vitally important. And that's the gospel. It's knowing whether or not you're saved. Are you right with God? Do you have peace with God? The therefore of of the first verse of chapter 5 bridges the gap and that through Christ. It says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says, and, and just before God begins his case against man, he says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we've got a bit of a hint of the gospel at the beginning there, that the just will live by faith. And Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, the law that we might receive adoption as sons. It's our Lord Jesus Christ who's the centrepiece of hope. He is the centrepiece of hope. He was the one that told the Pharisees to search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Will you go to him that you might have life? 1 John 5.12, he says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 19 one-syllable words that speak about life. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Now the rich man, he waited too long. He waited too long, and knowing this, he was fully conscious in hell. He asks Abraham, he realises his condition, he sees his condition as absolutely hopeless now. He can't get out of hell, he can't even get a drop of water to cool his tongue. And he asks Father Abraham, and he says, he says to him, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. All of a sudden, your concern once in hell is for those that are left over. Your concern once in hell becomes no longer for you. Your case is hopeless. It was Dante that actually had the sign above hell, the gates of hell, saying, Abandon hope all ye who enter here. He's without hope. But now his concern is that he has brethren. He has brethren. And he doesn't want them coming to here. And Abraham says to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. What's the problem? They had Moses and the prophets. What's our problem? We had Moses and the prophets. We have the full revelation of God in the Bible. We have the gospel being preached. We have preachers that have been going out for the last 2,000 years, as I mentioned before. What's our problem? Why is this church so small? Why is there so few people that would want to hear the word of God and the truth of their state? Why? Because they're in their homes, very, very comfortable. And the stark reality of life is too much for them to bear. 
And sadly, Satan has risen up so many preachers that are doing his work today, that are doing nothing more than fluffing the pillows of the damned. This is heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking state that Christianity is in at the moment. Because that's exactly what the, the most popular churches today are the ones that are they're playing their drums, they've got their guitars out, and they're telling wishy-washy little sermonettes for all the Christianettes. It's a serious problem. Because these Christians aren't growing in their walk before the Lord. They're not growing in faith. They're not growing in hope. And as they're not growing in faith or growing in hope and they're finding themselves filled with sin, they're not preaching the gospel. Would you preach the gospel? When, you know, when you're, when you're broken in sin and you're continuing therein, will you preach the gospel? No. Who would? There's a way you can be saved, you know. Do you know how to be saved? I'm going to give you some verses and I want you to have a look at those and think about them. There's a word that stands out. There's a word that stands out. Have a look at the first one here is John chapter 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In John chapter 3, 18, it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John chapter 1.12 Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. John 6.29 I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am come, ye shall die in your sins. I've only touched on one of the Gospels. Did you pick a word? Can anybody yell out the word? Believe. What is it that condemns you? Believe not. What is it that saves you? Believe. What is it that would send you to hell? Believe not. But what is it that gives you eternal life? Belief. It's belief. It's as simple as that. And we complicate the gospel so much. It's as simple as that. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save that which was lost? It's that. It's not a religious system. It's not having, having, having a pastor or, or a priest tell you that your sin's forgiven. It's not, it's not going out there killing all the Christians and Jews that's going to get, guarantee paradise. Okay? It's not doing all these good things that perhaps that at the end of your life you can, you can just disappear into vacuum of nirvana. None of that is going to be good enough. It's simply believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. A wonderful portion of the Bible. Just before the book of Romans, there's the book of Acts. Please turn to chapter 8 in the book of Acts. Remember what's happening at this particular point in time? The gospel has been preached. It's been preached into Jerusalem and they're going out and they're sharing the gospel as the Lord Jesus Christ had commanded into Jerusalem and to Samaria and to all the outermost parts of the world. Acts chapter 8 verse 27 has an event. The gospel being shared, received and an individual being born again. Verse 27 it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise! And go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and up and sit with him. The place of the scriptures where he read was this. 
He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptised? Now this is the text. This is the text. This is the most important text. I want you to focus on this one. Because Philip, he's asking the question. He's asking a question, what hinders me to be baptised? There is something that hinders to be baptised. I was baptised when I was a baby. Why? I don't know. I don't remember it. I don't know why I was baptised as a baby. It was just something that was just a done thing. But here, there's the question, what hinders me to be baptised? Not a lack of water. There was water to be baptised. What hinders me to be baptised? And the key is the answer that Philip gives. And Philip, in verse 37, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And verse 38, And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. What is this? Did it say, did it say, did Philip say, if thou believest with all thine head, thou mayest? Did he say that? No. Where do you have to believe? Where do we believe? We believe in the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I'm thinking, well, what does the heart deceive? Well, it's simple. The heart deceives the mind. Once you've rejected God in your heart... You've deceived your own mind. And we've got people all over the place trying to convert the mind. You can't convert the mind. The mind's been deceived by the heart. The gospel is there and designed to pierce the heart. It's the heart that needs to believe. It's with the heart that we believe unto righteousness. And then confession is made with our mouth. It's the heart. Tragically, Satan doesn't want people to know this. He doesn't want to know that you need to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He doesn't want him to know this. He doesn't want you to know this. He doesn't want anybody to know how simple the gospel is to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. So every single Bible translation that we have today has deleted verse 37. Every single modern Bible translation has deleted it. It's not there. If you've got one, you would have found that you've gone from 36 straight to 38. It's the key verse in the passage, and it's been taken away from us. Last point, and it's a short one, and I'll be finishing with this. Therefore, reveals our great hope. Chapter 5 again, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Being justified by faith is the prerequisite to peace with God. Do you understand that? Being justified by faith is the prerequisite to peace with God. The word therefore reveals the consequence of what has preceded it. It's not there for any other reason. It is in this place to let you and I know exactly that being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as every action has a cause and every cause has an effect, so too here, this is our bridge. This is our bridge to eternity. It's not a temporary state, as we've discussed. Salvation is a permanent state of rest for those that have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is forever. It's not something that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's something that you can have hope with, that you can know the truth. 
Romans chapter 4, remember we were looking at it, he says it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, and not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Last passage I want you to turn to, please. If you can turn to Hebrews chapter chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. <coughs> we began speaking of Moses' command to the people of Israel. And during this time in the history, the tabernacle was being set up in the Old Testament. And every year and only once a year, the high priest was ordained to go into the Holy of Holies and to offer a sacrifice, first for himself, for his own sins, and then to offer for the people. Okay, And it was to remove their sins completely from them. As far as the east is from the west, that was the purpose of it. But it was there for a reminder of what God had promised that will come. God had promised a new testament. God had promised a new covenant. There's a new promise that was going to be coming. Where once that promise comes, then the law of the Lord is written in their hearts. Remember what I spoke about last week? Last week we mentioned that those that despise the law and hate the law and try and pretend that the law doesn't exist and run from it, they are going to be judged by it. We are free from the law. We're not no, no longer under the law, but a new heart's been given us that our whole desire is to do nothing more than to obey the law. We want to obey the law. We desire to keep the law. And as I said then, if you don't desire to keep the law of God, then there's a good chance you're not saved. It's so important. Our heart's desire is to obey. So remember that portion in Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. There was a, a fullness of time that had to come. Now Jesus Christ has come, our high priest. Hebrews 7.22. Hebrews 7.22. We'll just read these few verses. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Remember the priests then, they gave the sacrifice year by year, once a year, and they and they alone were to go into the Holy of Holies. No other person was to be there. And I was told when I was over there that when they actually went into the Holy of Holies, they had a rope tied to their ankles so if they were there, people could pull them out. And it's true because if anybody else went there, the Bible indicates that they would have died. It's only for the high priest. But there had to be many priests. Why? Because they die. They live, they die, another one's appointed. They live, they die, another one's appointed. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood whereby he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's, that's one of my favourite verses in the Bible, that he's able to save them to the uttermost. You are saved to the uttermost. If you've accepted Jesus Christ in your life, if you have believed the report that the Bible teaches, then the Bible says here that he is able to save you to the uttermost. Why? Because you come unto God by him and because he ever liveth to make intercession for you. So there's one that's interceding for you all the time, continually. And it's our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says there in verse 26, For such an high priest became us who is holy. This is us. This is a description of those that have believed. See, what an incredible description, because I, I, I often feel not fit there. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. And Jesus Christ, so speaking about Jesus Christ, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. It's not a perpetual sacrifice that God's given. He's given up himself once when he offered up himself. Then it says in verse 28, For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated evermore. Guys, salvation doesn't come any other way. It comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. 
Salvation doesn't come through a religious system. It doesn't come through through doing particular works or anything. It comes through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and that alone. And that's what we're looking at. That's the therefore. That's that bridge. This is the gospel. That's why it's good news. It's good news because it's simple. You know something? Sometimes I think that very simplicity is the greatest hindrance to so many people. The very simplicity of the gospel. Yet it seems to be so difficult for so many people. Surely there should be more than that. How many times I've heard people say, well, you're telling me that a 30-second prayer is going to make me go to heaven? Yes. No. Yes. Yes, a 30-second prayer will have you go to heaven. But how many years have you put this off? How many times have you, have you thought about this? How often have you rejected the truth of God? Let me, say, let me ask you, how, how, how long does it take to ask a woman, will you marry me? That's the question we ask and then the answer is given. How long did it take the bloke to get to the point where he'd ask the question? It's exactly the same thing here. How long does it take a person to accept the truth of what has been laid before them? How long does it take them? Some people go throughout their whole lives. This is, why, this is why the Bible speaks about the children. Let the little children come to me. You know the incredible thing is? The incredible thing is I think that children have a better ability to come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so much quicker than anybody else. Why? What happens to us? We get to 14, 15, we get distractions, we start getting ourselves pumped up. Pride starts growing, doesn't it? Pride starts growing. Deuteronomy 30, 19, simply says, Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Choose life. Please choose life. Please consider the gospel. It's as simple as that. Nothing else is going to save you. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the word of God. We thank you for the truth of God. We know, dear Lord, that Satan would rather have... No one know of believing in our Lord and our Saviour. He would distract us with so many things and we even see this morning, dear Father, his desires to distract us from the truth of who you are and for the sake of the gospel. But the gospel must be preached, dear Lord, and people need to be saved. Father, eternity hangs in the balance, Lord, and I ask you, dear Father, if there's anybody here this morning that don't know you, that know that they don't know you, I pray, please, dear Father, work within their hearts. I ask, dear Lord, also for any that think they know you but have questions, please, dear Lord, work the gospel continually in their own hearts. Help them feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit within their lives, that they may come to a knowledge of the truth of God. The most dangerous place, dear Lord, is not knowing whether or not you're saved. And I ask you, dear Lord, please, Please, Father, work within their hearts, help them come to a knowledge of the truth and give them the courage, dear Lord, to ask the questions. In Jesus' name, we thank you again. Amen.